There we go. How you doing? What's going on, bud? Andrew Lee, today you are guest number 31 on the Eric Swan Racing Podcast. Oh, oh yeah. Garrett Griloff, number 31. Uh, yeah, I've been rolling them off lately, been just uh, hammering them out. For a while there, I was doing like once. Uh, uh, the first one I did, it was one month, and then the next one was another month, and then I did it weekly for a couple little yeah. I was getting some house repairs, so I had to stop. And then uh, I've been doing three or four a week for the last couple of weeks now. That's awesome. So, yeah, just talking to interesting people in the motorsports industry, sometimes business people. Um, doesn't have to be motorsports, but trying to keep it. You know, I love I love racing in motorsports myself. I have a business called Eric Swan Racing, so I can't really yeah. not like racing with a name like that. And you have Andrew Lee Racing, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Very good. And so you've been riding since uh, and racing since before you were a teenager. Is that right? Yeah. So I've been uh, I've been on motorcycles since I was four, and then uh, transition. I, I actually started on dirt. So riding dirt bikes up until I was probably eight or nine while racing and doing that stuff. And then uh, I was about I think thirteen when I actually started doing some road racing. So um, the road racing journey has been a lot more shorter period of time, but I've definitely enjoyed uh, all the different, you know, people I've met throughout the the scenes of moto and flat track, super moto and all, all the stuff I've thankfully been able to race. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, how old are you now? 21. 21, so still pretty young and uh, you're looking at doing some Moto America stuff? Yeah, I, um, you know, working on sponsorship. I mean, that's what everyone's doing. So Hopefully, if it pulls through, we'll be out there on the grid this year and uh, or next year, and uh, you know, look look for some good results and see where uh, where it puts us. Yeah, I mean, a guy like you, who's won what, 2018 and 2019, mm -hmm. 1,000 champion, and doesn't have a full ride in the next year. What ha what's what's with that? Yeah, it's just you know. I think it's really difficult for everyone in the industry right now to try to button up sponsorships. So, I yeah. mean, my story is the same as to everyone else is just, I, uh, maybe a little bit more apparent just because, you know, being at the front of the field for two years in a row, um, it just kind of is a little bit more apparent, but I mean, we're losing, you know, people every year to lack of sponsorship. So I'm by, by no means any special case. It's just unfortunate unfortunately another casualty to the uh you know the system right now yeah and you know what that's the same exact thing happened to me i wasn't quite at your level but i was just getting into the pro ranks i had won all this stuff behind me and i had my pro license and ready to ready to go into it just no money you know how yeah. to make that jump when there's just no money in the bank then you can barely make the regional or national amateur expert races you know it's tough yeah. Yeah, that's where I was at this year where uh, thankfully I had a couple of good supporters come through and uh, help me get to at least three rounds. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard jumping from bike to bike. Like, for example, the one at Barber where I started on the Cowie and ended on the Suzuki. But, I mean, people like Ozzy Dave who helped me get out there. And, I mean, realistically, there's just so many people behind the scenes that we don't often get to really uh, express our gratitude towards. But... I mean, the industry is full of really helpful and, you know, passionate people. And thankfully I've been able to uh, interact and, you know, work alongside with those kind of people. Yeah. And so that's the interesting point you made there. You said you were mostly, you've been riding Kawasaki's, I think. And then mm -hmm. you uh, switched over with the ADR team and you're riding on a Suzuki. How, how much different was that for you getting used to this, something like that? You know, I, yeah, it was really different, but I think with, time under my belt, it would have been okay. Um, I mean, we started Friday, ended Friday on the Cowie. Saturday morning, got to the track literally within an hour of first practice, or I think third practice, sorry, first practice of Saturday. Um, and I was informed that the Cowie team pulled out and I was like, oh shoot, well, I flew all the way out here and now I'm kind of just gonna be a spectator. But, you know, thankfully, uh, Dave Anthony had a spare bike that he was willing to loan me for the weekend. And, uh, you know, I had just FP3 to adapt to a brand new motorcycle that I've never ridden. And so I, I just kind of jumped on it. I think I had 30, 40 minutes on it. 
and went into race one. So the uh, the time on the bike, I like the setup wasn't perfect for me. Obviously, never riding it and never having any say on the setup. And so I mean, I had 30 minutes to get used to a bike, set it up, you know, get warmed up, and then go into the race. So you know, there was a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of factors in that. Yeah. And, you know, I've got to think that would make you a better rider, just being able to adapt to different situations that you don't have control over, but still go out and do your best, you know, and see what you can do with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, um, in, in a weird way, it definitely, I feel like broadened my, uh, my skill set. Yeah. You might notice a characteristic on this bike that you didn't, uh, uh, that you didn't notice before you come back to your bike and you're like, Oh, wow, I can do this differently, you know, or whatever different. Yeah, absolutely. So how far away from your uh, ideal lap time at that same track were you from bike to bike? So, I mean, I think realistically I was eight tenths off from the Cowie to the, um, to the Suzuki. And then I was, I, I think maybe half a second off my stock 1000 time from the year before on the Suzuki. So, I mean, relatively pretty close. And I was really happy with how that went. Um, uh, you know, with some development, like we saw that Michael Gilbert jumped on that bike after me and he, you know, first weekend had some teething marks and then just started, you know, chipping away. And he did, I mean, he finished the season off really well too. So that ADR team really has a good bike and uh, yeah, I was just thankful to be able to ride it. Yeah. I saw even, um, I think it was at one point this season, the ADR team had three different manufacturers racing under the same canopy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. never seen that before that's that's got to be a first yeah that was definitely interesting uh they had the cowie the yamaha and the suzuki all in one yeah and that gives them uh do you think that helps them or do other people just want to ride specific bikes you know i don't really know too much about the behind the scenes on the team but i know a lot of times it's kind of like the, the rider's preference um i think with that team you kind of bring your uh bring your equipment for those two, like uh, San Rodrigo, I believe brings his own stuff. And then um, I'm not entirely sure what Bradley Ward's doing, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's whatever, uh, however it works out. I don't think there's really any sort of, uh, you know, I don't think they're loyal to one manufacturer or another. I think they just kind of go with what works best and what will get them the best results. Yeah. Cool. I like to see that. Absolutely. It's really cool. Yeah, and being a Cowie guy, do you have any opinions on the, uh, I wouldn't call it a heated argument or anything, but the 636 versus 600, is it really that much better? Because I raced a 636 and a 600, and uh, my 636, though, was a 06, 636, clapped out, tons of miles, it was my street bike, you know, it wasn't wasn't fast by any means, so I couldn't really use that as comparison, but the new ones... I don't know. You know, I, um, I've been asked that question a lot and I think that it really just boils down to, uh, the builder. I think, um, Chuck Graves and his team really can build an outstanding bike. And, uh, I think M4 can build an outstanding bike. So, um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think the, the deficit's really grand. I think that it really just comes down to, uh, you know, just who's riding better the weekend. You know, I think we saw some really good examples of Sean taking it to Richie and vice versa, and even Brandon Posh in there too. So I think uh, a lot of it's just more so depending on where uh, where the the rider excels. I don't think that really there's if if there was as big of a you know deficit within those thirty seven CCs, you'd see it. Uh, you'd see it everywhere. So right, yeah, you see it down the straightaways. I think a little bit more pronounced, and it's not. They're not like pulling away like a Ducati and MotoGP or something, you know. Yeah, I, I think that. I mean, there's probably some benefits, but I think there's benefits in every every chassis and every motor. I think that you're gonna have. I mean, one motor motorcycle is gonna turn a little bit better, and the other one's gonna break a little bit better. So you're gonna have all these trade offs, and that's just I think the natural way that development on race bikes work so i think that at some point you kind of just have to accept that yeah that's never perfectly fair no never (laughs) 
And everybody's going to be, like you said, you're going to have off days. You might think you're going to be at the front one day, but it might be raining out and maybe you suck in the rain. You know, maybe you have to right. take a today. So it all depends yeah. on conditions and so many factors. Absolutely. So uh, what's on your mind today? Is there anything you wanted to talk about or like what's going on with you? I'd love to get to know you a little bit. I see you got, is that some cycling stuff behind you? Is that what that is? Yeah, I so, got some uh, uh, a cycling uh, jersey over here, championship jersey. Uh, I won a mountain bike championship uh, in the beginner, I think it was, beginner class. Um, because I, although I'm an expert pro licensed motorcycle racer, uh, I've never raced a mountain bike before. So it's yeah. like right at the bottom, just like I did before and work your way up. And so I won, I won that one, and I'm trying to win the next one in sport. Um, I think I got third or fourth overall last year and mm-hmm. the championship. So pretty happy with that, but it's still slow uh, compared to how I am on a, on a motorcycle, at least I feel like. Yeah. I feel like mountain biking and just the bicycle industry in general is just so uh, it's really intense. I mean, the people who are good, that's their lives. Like, Oh yeah. There's, I live out here in Reno, Nevada, and there's a, I went for a run the other day. And uh, my roommate, he's a big runner and we run past this guy on the bike and you, you can tell this guy's a big time cyclist because like he's just built and we're like, oh, wow, that guy's, you know, pretty legit. And then he's like, <clears throat> yeah, that's the guy who wins everything out here. But like his his day job is working for Trainer Roads, which is, you know, a virtual bicycling company. OK. And then his other thing is just cycling all the time so it's like naturally that guy's going to be a little bit better than everyone else so for sure it's just kind of funny because i think that even applies to every walk of life i mean business racing you know sports it's it's all the same yeah and um they just put in so much time like i can't compete i'm running a business i'm working a normal job i'm doing three or four podcasts a week sometimes uh you know and having a life and all that stuff it's just if they're doing um, a couple hundred miles a week. It's like, that, that's hours and hours a day that you're dedicating to that. And I just, I, yeah. I'm sorry. I love biking and staying fit, but, uh, and lately I, I haven't been doing enough of it because it's been so cold <clears throat> out and all that stuff. I got excuses, but that's, uh, yeah, totally. You, and you're in California or Nevada? No, Nevada, Reno, Nevada. Nevada. Yeah. Um, so like I used to cycle a lot too, but I, uh, I fell off that and kind of just went into uh, more gym and running because uh, like you say, it's time that you de- like devote to spending two, three hours on a bicycle a day. It's like, you ain't getting that back. It's, it's a lot of work. And where I was living prior to living out here, it's uh, I lived in my parents' house in the Central Valley in California. So we lived on this long dirt road. And every time I wanted to go do a bicycle ride, I had to you know get suited up and then throw the bike in the back of the car and take the front wheel off and drive it down the driveway that's dirt to the end of the road and throw the tire on and then go ride and then rinse and repeat. And it's like you add in like an extra 20 minutes on each end. And it's like, ah, well, you just spent four hours out of your day. And it's like, you know, I did a lot of my majority of riding by myself too. It's like, okay, well, two, three hours are just, you know, wind going through your ears. You're like, yeah, it's getting kind of, you know, boring. So I've now taken the approach of throwing on running shoes and going for an hour and it's a little bit more, uh, you know, time. There's there's more time for other things in your day now. For sure. And it depends what you're training for. Like if you're training for motorcycle racing, yeah, it's good to have that endurance and all that stuff. Maybe do one of those rides every once in a while, but maybe not yeah. every week, right? Like for yeah. a little while there, I was trying to... Uh, do a long ride every week. And that's, that's great in the summer. And if that, if you got nothing else to do, that's, that could be enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're saying, even though some, a lot of times I'll ride from my house, cause I have a decent trail about a mile South of my, uh, my doorstep, which is nice. Um, and I can take that up to a big park, a uh, bunch of different parks around here. Um, uh, but it does take, you know, a couple hours out of your day instead of just going for a more high intensity workout. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and the most, the best, high intensity workouts I got were from that, uh, fitness program insanity. I think it was Sean. Oh man, that stuff kicked my ass, but, uh, it really, it really works when you're jumping all around and you're not really lifting any weights. Uh, you're just using body weight and, um, 
know, high intensity. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, you know, I think diversifying your, uh, your training stuff is always, uh, I mean, if you do one thing forever, it's gonna, you know, stop progressing you. So you got to have definitely the, uh, little bit of variations in there. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about me, I've been racing since, uh, 2010. So I started when I was 20, uh, track days and, uh, and novice racing, expert racing. Uh, I stopped motorsports in 2015 because of the money and I got really injured, uh, broke the brand new bike I just got and, uh, I kind of ran out of money. So I took a step back, got into the mountain bike, foot racing. Um, I done, I have done an indoor triathlon. Um, mm. so kind of all around fitness. I did swimming as in a, in middle school, I played hockey in high school, soccer for like 12 years when I was younger oh, wow. at level. So my dad was a soccer coach. Um, so yeah, my brother does triathlons. He's a four-time triathlete. So oh, wow. fitness is in my family for sure. My dad yeah. completed, um, we did a podcast actually about it. I think it was like podcast number six, um, with my dad, he completed 500 days in a row of working out at least once a day of not just walking or like mowing the lawn, but yeah. running or biking every day, at least a month. Wow. And he's 63 and, uh, I think it's 62 or 63. Sorry, dad. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's up there and he's, uh, you know, I'm slacking compared to him, but it's just, right. He is, he's doing one job and I'm doing like three, I feel like. So you got to pick your battles. Like right now, I'm really trying to make money. I'm really trying to push for my business and coming home from my day job and then go straight to work on my own stuff. And then do yeah. it in the meantime, because right after this, I'm going to ship orders. Um, you know, I'm not done working yet. I still yeah. have to do it's uh, seven. Uh, I'm sorry. It's 1722. So it's 5 p.m. over here in, in Michigan. So I still got a no more hours of daylight it's already dark over here but yeah i still got work to do so that's definitely a you know that's a mindset change that i feel like uh i've started to adapt to recently with uh you know the fate of my racing career being a little bit questionable recently i've uh you know started to concentrate more so on a career aspect like what's gonna you know supply for me and my family here in the future and uh yeah, it's definitely been two different animals. You know, there's a lot, there's a balancing act because obviously I'd still want to be out there at the track racing and uh, obviously I still need to pay some bills. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's been difficult. I think even at being 21, I, uh, I feel like I've experienced a lot in my life and, you know, I feel like I have a good uh, repertoire of things that I know. And uh, I think just trying to utilize everything that I've learned from, you know, thankfully with the motorcycle industry there's successful people in every walk of life that you get to you know intermingle with and interact and i think that i've met enough successful people that i can kind of start hopefully emulating some of the tendencies that they have and what they share and uh you know implement it into my life so that's kind of with the covid year that's kind of been my uh, my change of pace like okay well maybe racing is not going to, obviously it's not going to last forever, but I, um, I'm aiming to try to do something myself where maybe I could put myself in a position to help racers in the future. And that kind of be something that I'm, I'm really interested in because obviously I do a lot of coaching and stuff with Pridmore. Um, I, I enjoy that aspect of things. And I mean, once I'm a little bit more financially stable here, hopefully in the next few years, it'd be nice to give back to the, uh, the next generation, I'd say. Yeah, you know, if we could figure out some tips and tools and ideas to give people to generate more value or more money into the in motorsports industry, that's what all I'm for. You know, I, I'm all for doing that and helping people. And yeah, if you can get the finances of racing right, you don't really have to be that fast. You know, you no. just need to be able to fund it. That's the biggest problem. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I feel like a lot of times there's people out there who are, uh, you know, a little bit like woo me like oh i didn't get sponsors and uh blah 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 and i think even sometimes i've fallen into that category of you know oh this sucks like i feel so bad for myself but i think exactly what you were saying like it's so much i mean something that i've learned from doing some business is it's a lot of providing value like 
winning races isn't really the only value that comes out of you know the motorcycle industry so you got to kind of like you know adapt and overcome and find out what people value the most and i mean that's something that you know i've been looking at the drawing board like well, okay well what's valuable like what is what's something that i can do that i perceive as value and give it to you know everyone and you know make a living or at least make it to the track so yeah, yeah um that's sure. just interesting in my mind like just the change there yeah and for sure and you know that's kind of my idea was I kind of I felt like I failed at sponsorship I reached out to thousands and thousands of companies and you know you get some yeses and you get a whole bunch of maybes and then tons of responses and all that stuff but uh the end of it is I haven't given up I'm just trying something else with my business and now I'm trying more something else even more with the podcast for more marketing um so I'm still, I'm still obsessed with it. I just, uh, I'm trying a different avenue this way. And, you know, now I'm selling the products that I used. So some yeah. sponsors are now vendors of mine, you know? So now I'm, I'm able to give back even more value because I'm actually selling their products and making them money. Absolutely. You know, that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do. And uh, I just can't wait to wait to reach out to more brands and to get into more, more, uh, you know, parts and different things and all kinds of, I just want to sell everything. I want to, I want to have like the motor, the motorsports playground. Uh, you come in there, it's like a candy shop for motorsports people. Right. Yeah. You know, little boutique of motorsports stuff, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's so cool, you know, definitely. I mean, still wanting to be out there on the grid, but you know, still hustling in the back and, you know, trying to make everything make sense. And, uh, it's definitely, you know, valuable, like, you know, like just being able to know the dedication and what goes on behind the scenes is going to supply, you know, what you want to do for fun or do for work. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's so motivating. I would never do this if I was selling like, I don't know, candles or, you know, something I don't yeah. care about. I would never be able to push through, um, you know, the, the things that suck, like right, be over, right before I walked over here, I just saw, oh, buyer opened a request of something they weren't happy with. I was like, oh, well, there's something else I got to deal with, you know? Right. And an email to one of my assistants saying, oh, all these problems are just like whack-a-mole. We're just like, they just keep popping up. And that's, right. that's just normal. It's just uh, things are starting to accelerate. And that's, that's a great thing, a great problem to have, but it still creates more problems. Uh, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's and you know just overcoming them and just have, but they keep coming, right? They're keep like coming. I'll keep smacking down, them down. Like, oh, here's another one. Here's a new one. <laughs> yeah, and that's with racing too. I mean, you always have like, oh, my tire pressure is not right, um, but you can't stop. You can't come back in. It's the race. You know, you gotta yeah. put the race on it. Or uh, sometimes you get really lucky. There was a time I was at Nelson Ledges with Wera doing a doing a race. And uh, I usually do all the Ace, Ace Superstock, Ace Rear Bike, the 750s and the 600s, both of them for each class, each, uh, each CC there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so multiple races, you're not always filling your gas tank in between. Well, I wasn't uh, for the exact amount of fuel. And you go out for the next one and I go out for the, the warm up lap and I see the light come out. I'm like, oh, that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> So I just went, I kept going. I was like, I know I'm not going to be able to finish this race, but you never know what's going to happen. And right. there was a red flag on like lap two and I, I got to come in refuel and uh, nobody knew that I was going to run out of gas in that race. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. It's, I mean, recently I've taken up golf and let me tell you, that's the most infuriating sport I've ever <laughs> even tried to do for fun. Yeah. And the problem is I've got friends who are actually really good at it. And I'm that idiot who I know I'm never going to be great at it, but I sure as hell will try to be good at it. Yeah. And so, I mean, Jason Pridmore, who golfs quite frequently, got me into it. And uh, <clears throat> Alex Dumas, a Moto America racer, he and I went out and we played some rounds. And now we text each other all the time. Oh, here's what I got today. And, you know, I went and played the other day and I was like, out golfing and just you know just shy of throwing my clubs i'm like i'm gonna sell everything this sucks i can't wait to play tomorrow 
Um, anyways, it sucks. And it's just like, it's kind of almost t- teaching me mentally some, some things that, you know, in racing, like, you know, you mess up one corner, you mess up brakes or, you know, it's just one thing doesn't go right. You can't let it just interfere with the rest of your game. And that's like same with golf. I mean, there's 18 holes. And if you mess up hole six and you add three strokes, you still got, you know, a bunch more to go. <laughs> like, just calm down. So it's just something that's uh, definitely, you know, it's just interesting to me coming from. Yeah, I, I wish I picked it up earlier just because I feel like I've learned a lot about myself. Yeah, you know, um, I'm not going to brag, but I, I was on the middle school golf team. And, <laughs> you know, it was it was not a big deal. It was, uh, um, you know, it's fun to play for sure. I'm no good. For sure, you know, it's it's uh, frustrating just like you're saying, playing yeah. with uh, really good people. All of my cousins are in love with golf and I'm no good at it, but uh, it's fun to smack the ball around. Are you uh, struggling with your short game or long game? Uh, it depends on the day. Yeah, I really, that's one thing I really love about it. So the other day I was really good driving and my long irons and stuff like that. And the following day, couldn't hit them, but I can putt. So it's like, I think, you know, the other day I went and played, I spent most of my time looking for my ball. So <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, it was really, really fun. Bring about uh, at least a dozen for me. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. How to buy a new, new, uh, new dozen of balls and I almost went through them. So not good. I think they should all be neon and have tracking devices on them. That helped me a lot. I just stole one from Top Golf. play with that because it yeah. don't they have chips in there or something? Oh, I, I haven't been there yet. I pass one every day on the way home from work though. Really? Yeah, it's um, they just put one up in Pontiac near my house or near near my work. And uh, I just said to myself today, I was like, they just put up a I mean, it's been there for a couple of months, but they put up a, uh, a golf, uh, a golf range directly at a freeway with just, you know, there's a net there, but it's like, is that the best idea? I'm sure there's balls that go over it or I don't know right. far, but <laughs> that's exactly what I, my mind goes to is that's going to go through or something. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't have to worry about that. Thankfully we'll make it there. <laughs> right. Won't go that far. Yeah. I will not go that far. Not even like I'd be better off just walking it and tossing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I figured out this summer I played uh I play like once a year within uh four days or five days stretch, maybe five times. Uh and that's about it for the year. Um go on vacation and play and that's you know, I'm done. Um but this vacation I, I brought my own clubs and uh I found my driver is my enemy. So this one driver yeah. have it's like big bertha, you know um that's not the one to use for me i can't control it it goes everywhere um but where i want it so i put that one away and i figured out the next game wow i just shaved like 13 strokes off my game but i want taking one club out right yeah and it's just that easy sometimes but the thing about me is like i can't drive for crap right now but i'm stubborn enough to like oh this next hole is going to be different i'm not going to change anything but it will be different yeah it hasn't changed it has not (laughs) um so let's uh transition a little bit you said uh you've been riding cowies for a while and you're riding a 450 kawasaki in the dirt as well yep yep i uh i ride that thing probably more than i ride anything else actually so i really enjoy it i mean like i said grew up on dirt bikes and uh you know bought it bought a new uh cowie last year and putting a putting a lot of hours on her (laughs) That's good. Are you racing or just training on it? Uh, you know, I do some racing from time to time. Um, I just, you know, I really enjoy it. So, uh, I live out in the desert, so I go out and ride in the desert more so than anything, but, uh, I went and raced, uh, the Red Bull day in, day in the dirt Yeah, yeah. a few weeks ago. And that was, that was a blast, you know, being able to do some like team races and stuff like that. And, you know, lots of learning. And, you know, I, I just think, uh, I just, Anytime I can ride my dirt bike is a good time. And would you like, uh, they're not hair scrambles, but uh, are you doing all sorts of different kinds of races or more of the circuits on the dirt bike stuff? Yeah, I do more uh, motocross, you know, just sticking to the track. But I think this year upcoming, I'm going to try to do some works, which is kind of like the, uh, you know, half off-road and then half moto. 
So that'll okay. be, uh, I think that'll be pretty cool. And uh, are those still full knobby tires or are they hybrid? Yeah. Tires? Yep. Very cool. Um, and you did some supermoto too. You're still doing some of that. I haven't done supermoto in a long time. Um, I think ever really since I transitioned into the uh, the road racing scene, I haven't really much touched the uh, the supermoto. I have one right now, but she kind of just sits in the uh, in the garage collecting dust. Unfortunately, you think the uh, the dirt training is way more is way better. Uh, it's for me. I mean, the deciding factor ultimately is uh, the ease of doing it. So yeah. um, I don't live next to anything for road racing. Like the closest road race track is three hours, maybe. And then closest supermoto track is two and a half, three hours. So it's like, I don't really have the time to just spend six hours driving and then go ride and then come home. Like all of that kind of stuff, you know it's easier for me to just go load the bike up in the back, go drive 20 minutes out into the desert and just ride for a few hours and come home, have dinner. It's going to be so nice. You know, it's, it's so strange. I always find it strange in motorcycle racing, uh, at least for the people that I know who aren't super rich um, to do, to practice your main profession. How many times a year do you, do you get to practice? Yeah, that's you know, such a funny question. I, I get asked that all the time, and they're like, well, how often do you go practice? And I'm like, well, realistically, twice before the beginning of the season, maybe. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, like I, I mean, generally I'll do like one CVMA race and then one AFM race, and then I'm in Atlanta. So yeah. um, I don't really ever have too much time on the bike, and then – if I'm ever on a road race bike, other than that, it's actually just a, a bone stock ZX10 or ZX6 that I teach with JP. So it, um, not quite know, the same, not the same. So <laughs> it's, it's just kind of funny when you think about, I mean, referring to like a football athlete and, you know, all these guys, they're Monday through Sunday. All they do is football. And when you look at, professional motorcycle racers it's more so like you know if somebody's riding more than once a week that's outstanding yeah. because you know not a, like there's not many tracks for us to go to and there's like all these there's a lot of variables and uh it's just crazy to think that you know over in europe they're able to do you know more of that training on smaller scale stuff and like i said uh the schedule or the, the way the schedule plays out for me out here like it to devote three hours one way and three hours back and all that multiple times a week would be, I mean, a huge devastating blow to my wallet, let alone not even including the track expenses. So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely um, a different animal. Well, you know, I think uh, motorcycle racers in general are very adaptive and we use, like I use mo uh, mountain bikes all the time and bicycles and road race bikes, um, road bicycles. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, dirt bikes and, um, supermoto, some people do carts, you know, things that are smaller CC'd. Uh, I just interviewed my buddy, Carl Soltis on here and he was doing uh, mini racing. So he does uh, 50 CC mini racing. And I think he turned it into an 88, uh, CC, and he also has a 150 does, you know, like at the local cart track, two miles from my house. So there's, there's definitely options that you can get good training, but it's still yeah. on your main machine that you race with exactly yeah so it's just a little different um and so you said you're still working on some plans for 2021 you can't give us too many too many details um but what would your ideal scenario be you know i guess my ideal scenario would just be on the track so it's pretty broad but i mean it, in a dream world i would say you know racing superbike obviously would be the dream and uh you know just trying to find the right that right avenue to wander down to make that plausible is really you know it's a really tough tough spot to be in you know you got to make sure that everything plays out so we'll uh we don't have anything really written down or anything like that yet so uh we'll uh you know when when more details come hopefully they do uh be able to share those sure and you know i just got to think that someone who can figure out how to 
secure a WEC Suzuka eight-hour deal, would be able to figure out at least to get a ride at Moto America. Yeah, you'd think. Yeah, that was uh, I mean, the Suzuka eight-hour is a whole different animal. Which hopefully, I think I get to do this upcoming year if they do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was. I mean, that was an experience in its own. So tell me about that. How does something like that fall into your lap? Or do you- so thankfully, um, my crew chief for those, the two years that I raced Moto America Stock 1000, he works for Kawasaki. And uh, he had some friends over in Japan that, you know, were knew somebody at this team. So it was kind of just like a, hey, I know this guy who knows a guy who actually knows this guy. Yeah. And so um, it just kind of played out that they, uh, they were interested in having an American on the team. And uh, I was able to go over there and, you know, not destroy the bike and get along well with the team and, you know, just be able to give them some good data and, you know, do all right as well. So I think that um, being able to capitalize on a position like that was really cool, but that that all basically came through um, my crew chief. Okay. Yeah. It's like, you gotta, you gotta help the people, you know, and know the people you help. Exactly. Right. Um, so what's it like riding a bike in an endurance championship, uh, as prestigious as that and having to share a bike with, uh, two, uh, two or three other people, right? Yeah. So we had, we had three riders total. So two other than I, um, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Like it was just, um, like, again, learning a lot more about myself as a rider. Um, prior to that, I was a little bit more finicky about, you know, bar setup or foot peg position and this or that and over there you don't really have much of a say the fastest rider gets the choice and everyone else just kind of deals with it and uh when i was over there it was a uh, hikari akubo who races world super sport 600 and um akuda i don't remember kaizuki akuda and he races uh super sport in the all japan championship and and where were they from huh where were they from they were both from japan yeah, so they, um, Hikari Kubo was a lot smaller than I was, and then the other rider was similar in size for me. So we kind of, Hikari was the fastest of the three of us, and he had a lot of the say on the bike. And, you know, he did some things where I was like, oh, I mean, after riding it for an hour, you're like, oh, well, I kind of actually like this, and transitioned that back into the bike that I rode here. So, so you got some good information for yourself you took and applied in a different way exactly yeah and then i mean it was cool just being able to ride with like johnny ray and leon haslam and all these you know prestigious you know superstars oh, yeah. in our sport and being on the same track you know i feel like uh sometimes i rode road atlanta and barber uh, some tracks that major major races have held place at you know and i'm like at least I've been at the same track. They are on the same track, but you know, yeah. it'd be even a, a much more surreal feeling. Yeah. I mean, being a, like that event just in general is the craziest thing because I mean, you have the people on the factory, but I was on a stock 1000 there. And so you have the people on like world Superbike esque mo- motorcycles and then people like me who are on stock 1000s. And then there's people who kind of like have a little, you know, parts pile and like there's just like different different levels of teams riders equipment and you know i i feel like that i'm a pretty decent rider and i'm getting lapped while lapping people and it's just like all these things that are happening all at once you're like wow there's there's a lot going on (laughs) yeah so um is that the first major endurance race you've been at where there's so much lapping going on? And, and how does that play out in some of those corners that are kind of tight uh, with one person in there? Yeah, I mean, that was my first real, like, big bike endurance race. And then, yeah, it was, yeah, they, no remorse. Like, if you're in the way, you, you're either going to move or you're going to stay, you're going to be in the gravel. So um, that was, it was pretty intense for sure. But, uh, yeah, I was able to go do um, a weir at N2 Endurance with the Army of Darkness team oh, yeah. uh, this this year, and that was a lot of fun, too. And uh, I really enjoyed the endurance racing stuff. I think even if I had the choice to race Moto America or World Endurance, it'd be a, it, that would be a toss-up. Oh, yeah. I mean, World Endurance, 
Um, I probably choose world endurance because it's so it's so much of a higher level. You're on track for so much longer. Um, you get to go to so many different countries. I don't even know where where they all go anymore. I don't I don't follow that as a as a series right now, but I, I pick it out every once in a while because they happen so infrequently. Yeah, they're uh, fewer and farther between. But yeah, I think that uh, the talent there is just phenomenal. It's not like you said, it's not as many people watch it, though. So it's um, or at least stateside. I'm not sure how the demographic is out there, but um, yeah, stateside, it's not as big of a deal. Um, I think it's an incredible experience for anyone in America to do if they can. I think uh, I have a friend, Brandon Kratu, who uh, did some world endurance stuff. And, you know, I think he and I can both say, um, even my crew chief, Derek, he did the Suzuka eight hour. Um, yeah, we, we all have come back from that and we're like, well, that was an incredible experience. Can't wait to do it again. Yeah, yeah man. I watched uh, some of the, the, um, the car racing endurance stuff and they're doing like 12 hours or 24 hours at Dubai and all these, it's like um, kind of IMSA style cars, GT3, uh, GT4s. Um, that'd be so much fun. Would you ever consider transitioning to cars or would you always stick with uh, motorcycles? You know, I've actually talked about that before. Um, I would totally love to race some cars. Um, it's just that I feel like that that's such a weird interest. I, I just don't know how to get into that. But I, I mean, if there was ever an opportunity, I would jump on it. But so many people say, how do you get into motorcycle racing? And you figured that one out. I, I figure like the lump, the, the jump to cars couldn't be that much different. Well, I mean, to the scale, I, uh, I got in the motorcycle industry from, you know, being a child brought up in it and, yeah. you know, being on a motorcycle from four to now, um, you know, going through the ranks, it's probably, I, I'm not financially in the position to go buy a race car and then I go through you. the ranks to do it all on my own. <laughs> I see what you mean. Yeah. You got to just somehow, I don't even know, just, just, uh, prove your worth mm -hmm. race a car and then they'll sponsor you. Right. That's the, that's the idea. But there right. are so many car drivers who have already proven their worth who are looking for a sponsorship right now. Exactly. It's catch 22. As is there with everything. <laughs> For sure. Um, so uh, has COVID been affecting you lately? Are you going into like a job every day or, or how's that? No, work? no, I, I work from home. Actually, my roommate got COVID a few weeks ago. So uh, I was already home for that week. So thankfully I didn't really have to quarantine any more than I already was, but yeah, we all got kind of, he got the worst of it. I think we all generally felt a little under the weather. So, um, you know, hit home a little bit, but yeah. So I just, you know, I started my own little marketing company and starting to try to, you know, broaden that horizon a little bit. And, you know, it's, uh, COVID is, like I said, the years just kind of put me in a different space where I kind of want to learn more about what I can do for the, the future outside of racing that maybe helps me get back into racing. Sure. And tell me about this marketing stuff you're doing. What is that about? Yeah. So my goal is I, uh, I do, I work with like smaller businesses. So like I have most of my clients right now are close individuals that I've worked with in other walks. And, uh, so I, I help them do a lot of like web design and, uh, digital marketing, such as like Facebook ads, Google, um, you know, managing social media forum. Uh, so like there's a lot of, you know, different niches that I fill for somebody who not necessarily knows what about that side of things. So for example, like I've got friend, uh, a friend who owns an HVAC company and, you know, his expertise is HVAC. He doesn't need to know every ins and outs of marketing. That's what I'm for. So that's, uh, that's kind of what I've been, you know, a little bit more gun ho with recently is trying to, uh, help those who have helped me in the past. And uh, I think my main goal with, you know, my marketing is being able to supply some value to friends who run the smaller businesses, who have families that, you know, it'd be great if I can make them two, three times the money that they make now and get them home, <laughs> home earlier, hire more people. That way they can spend more time with their families. So that's kind of like my initiative is just trying to be able to uh, make the smaller businesses 
you know, bring in more money and make it so the owners can spend more time with their family. Yeah, for sure. You know, driving sales and driving eyeballs and the right customer to the right business. And that's a massive, uh, um, a value that can be added to any business. Um, you know, everybody needs more sales. You can't say you don't need more sales. Uh, uh, yeah. So my biggest problem as a business is not, well, I, I need more sales, but my biggest, biggest problem right now is that everything that I have access to for sale is not online yet, which is a problem because now you can't buy it if it's not online. Right. Yeah. So um, and nobody wants to send you an email and say, hey, can I buy this from you? And it's not great. So no. um, so right now I have two assistants working pretty much full uh, full time, um, one in India and one in Westland, Michigan. Um, so they're working and uh, making listings. So I have a, I've created a manual for how to make a listing for eBay and Amazon and my website. Mm -hmm. And now we're just going through it and going through the, all the brands that have accepted me as a vendor and going through and listing all the products from exhausts to rear sets to, you know, um, all kinds of suspension parts for cars and mountain bikes and motorcycle parts, gear, tires. So um, we're just trying to, to list everything and it takes a long time. Yeah, I, there's, there's so many, I mean, just business in general, there's so many uh, different, you know, responsibilities for the owners. It's, uh, I mean, you sell parts, but it's a lot more than that. Yeah. yeah and then <laughs> the accounting and everything. And, you know, I, I might've used some of these parts, but I haven't used all of them. So I got to learn about what I'm selling before I feel like I can, I can sell it. Um, yeah. And I can talk about it. Uh, so I don't look like an idiot or some customer asked me a question about it. It's like, well, I don't know. I hadn't looked at that one. That was the item number 18,000. You know, I hadn't, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, it just comes with the, comes with the trade. Absolutely. So, uh, so you'd still consider yourself a privateer at this point, not a factory guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, my program has always been done through what I do and what my dad helps me. You know, I think it's been, a, I mean, a majority of my career has just been me and my dad. So, um, definitely a little, a little bit more privateer. We bought a bike from Graves last year and that kind of helped the program. But I think other than that, we've all been basically homegrown, garage built kind of thing. So, you know, I've just been, like I said, thankful enough to be working with some really, really intelligent people that help build my success. Yeah. And so your dad was probably into it when he was uh, uh, raising you and getting you into it. Was he a... Yeah. Himself? Yeah, he raced some club level stuff. He raced AFM when he was a younger lad and before he had me. So definitely was a little bit in the family, but he, uh, I don't know where I got the dirt bikes from. Nobody in my family's ever rode dirt bikes. So I kind of just picked that up. Okay, very good. Yeah, everybody seems to say that's the best background you can have. And uh, I think it would have saved me from some uh, unnecessary crashes on the bigger bikes. Yeah, right. That's the idea anyway. Um, so let me get your, your thoughts on the Andrea Unoni situation. Uh, do you think that a four-year potentially, they say career-ending um, ban is, is reasonable for possibly eating tainted meat that he says he doesn't, doesn't know about? I mean, we don't have all the facts, but we're just uh, assuming here. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a little uncalled for. I, uh, I don't believe much in those bands um, solely based on the fact that it's his livelihood. And they're really, uh, I mean, it's the same thing that they've done in the past with like Lance Armstrong and stuff like that. Um, I think a lot of the times that they look at making an example out of somebody because they know somebody else is doing it. So they want to make an example. So they're a little harsher to one to make an example for the other people. But I mean, I, I, I use the example of Brock Tickle. Um, Brock Tickle had the same thing in Supercross where, you know, I think he did like a GNCC, uh, like he, or a GNC, like a supplement that had something that didn't pertain or was outside of the, the, uh, this WADA list and he got popped for it. And, you know, they really just wrote him into the ground. 
and I, I think in some aspect, I, I believe that, you know, having the, the guidelines are, they're important. And I think that they should implement those. And I think that punishing people who don't abide by them should definitely be there. But I, I don't believe the multi-year bans, especially in a career so slim. I mean, yeah, you're not going to be at the top for 17 years. So if you take four years out of a six, six seven, eight-year career, you tuck hundreds of thousands of dollars out of this person's pocket for eating the wrong McDonald's meal. You know, it's just like, what, what did, what did you gain out of that? And what, like, look what you made this individual lose. So I, I think a lot of it's just a little uncalled for. I mean. So like it's if it's a big game, like I mean Andre like Iannone wasn't winning the championship, you know, Brock Tuckle wasn't winning the championships, like not that it doesn't matter, but I think that it's I mean they're picking battles in really weird places, I think, like with Iannone. Like yeah, you could kind of guess that, you know, he might do something like that, but it's I mean spending the guy for four years. And the other thing that I think is kind of shady on that aspect is uh, the time it takes for them to know, like the same, like with Brock Tickle, he said for years, he didn't like, he didn't for like a year or two, he didn't even know if he was banned or not. <laughs> and then it's the same thing with Anthony West. Like he doesn't know, like it's kind of like depends what the guy's mood is on the day that they're dealing with. And it's like, well, if you guys are going to end someone's career, at least tell them to go find something else to do. But yeah, they're like, and- oh, well, we'll get back to you. Oh, we'll get back to you. Oh, next year. Oh, I'll get back to you next month. Oh, this and that. And it's like, just tell me now because you already know. Yeah, they're just delaying, delaying, delaying. And really, so unless this, I don't know what the, uh, the, the chemical or steroid in question is called or what it does. I'm not a scientist or anything like that. But you don't see massively ripped people um, like bodybuilders racing motorcycles, you know, massive strength is not um, a, ma- a really big benefit because too much strength will slow you down and, you know, create arm pump and whatnot and just too much muscle mass, it's not beneficial. So is a steroid, unless it's like some mental thing that makes you just be better going around a racetrack, like you should ban that or give that to everybody uh, if you right. can it. But, uh, I can't imagine uh, a steroid for strength giving you that much advantage anyways. Yeah. Um, it, it's difficult to uh, really justify. Like I said, if you're going to do something like that, tell them immediately because like I said, short careers, like you can't really play that game with somebody who's only got 10 years. I mean, you took over half their career away and it doesn't affect the guys making the decision. I mean, if that guy never races again, it, you know, financially it might crumble them. Like it puts them yeah. into a position that they didn't know they were going to be in. I mean, in some cases, yeah, it's their own doing. Yeah. You shouldn't be taking those drugs or you should, you know, yes, I understand that. But in a sense, there is a, that's where the right now urgency of, Hey, you're done. So right. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's just, it's just wild, man. Uh, there's so many things going on in the world. Um, it's hard to pick one to talk about. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, lots going on. Lots going on. Um, you got anything on, on the mind? Oh, I've always got things on the mind, but you know, Oh, I got a question here. Um, I got a few bullet points. I think we got covered most of them so far. The rest of them are going to be off the top of my head. Um, I don't know this question, uh, if it's answered asked to me, but how many racetracks do you think you've rode at com- total? Uh, you can count each configuration as a track. Wow, that's it. Okay, is that just road racing? Whatever. Just in general? Yeah. Oh, geez. You know, probably 60. 60? Because I think probably at least 15 or 20 that I can count pretty quickly for me anyways. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking the different configurations and, you know, dirt bike tracks and supermoto oh, yeah. and flat track and 
all, yeah. all the all the tracks in general that I've been on are probably close to like 60, 70, I'd say. And, and so is there a particular style of track that is best for you? Like if, if somebody says, let's go race and you get to pick the track, where would you go and why? You know, I don't think I have one track that I ride the best at, but I mean, if, if I was given, you know, the, Hey, let's go ride any track right now. Where, where would it be? I think if it was one that I've never been to, it'd be Phillip Island. Okay. And if it's one that I have been to, it'd be Suzuka. Okay. Yeah. I was just thinking like some people are really, really good in breaking zones. So hard, hard breaking. Some people are good in fast entry corners. You know, some people are great at accelerating out of slow corners, but um, it's best to be good all around. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think maybe my riding style is maybe I'd say flowing faster and flowing, but I'm, I've also been told that technical stuff's kind of been good for me, but I don't think I really have a preference. I, I just enjoy riding. So, yeah. Um, and you're doing some coaching now. Is that right? Yeah. So I work with Jason Pridmore doing one-on-ones and then, uh, haven't done as much this year, obviously due to the COVID restrictions, but, uh, yeah, I really enjoy working with the uh, people one-on-one. -on -one. I really enjoy that. And um, what, are, what are most of uh, the new the newbies or anybody's, what are some of their sticking points when you're coaching them uh, that they're having trouble with? You know, I think it's, it's with anything. Um, when you watch somebody at the top of any sport, so like if you watch, you know, Tom Brady throw a football, Tiger Woods swing a golf club, uh, Cameron Bobe go around turn one at any racetrack, you're going to be like, oh, he made that look easy, right? So I think a lot of people look at it and try to overcomplicate it because they feel that there's so much complicity that they need to like build it themselves. So I feel like a lot of people, you know, make a, you know, a generic, you know, 90 degree corner they break it into like six different zones and they like they go through like all these bullet points that they got to do through for this one corner you're like well okay let's let's tone this down a little bit because this is getting really complicated you might as well have you know a math book in front of you because this is a this is a lot and then i think the other thing is people add a lot of extra body movements and i mean i see it sometimes for like the instagram stuff and you know, I see the, I think those are the two biggest points that I work on a lot of the riders. I mean, 10, 20 years experience or two days. Like, I think a lot of people kind of have a lot of the same tendencies. Yeah, man. When I was first starting, um, I was doing some track days and then I went right to the tail of the dragon in Tennessee. So really, mm -hmm. you know, hilly section. Uh, and then I went back to the track and that was so good for me to do because before on track days, um, I was I was setting up for the turns like a mile ahead of time. Yeah. Way, way too soon. Um, and I'm getting ready. I'm putting my butt on the side of the seat. You know, I'm getting ready. Um, and then the tail of the dragon, you don't have a time to set up. You just no. turn, 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 you know. And so going back to the track after that, I was like, oh, well, it's not that big a deal. Like waiting the bike a half a mile before the turn isn't really that necessary. If you do it right. that way and you're smooth with it, you can, you can be a lot quicker with your motions and not have to be so worried about where my weight is. I mean, it's important, but yeah, it's all around it is what I was trying to say. Absolutely. So it's just uh, riding in different situations and, and rainy conditions is really helpful. Um, how are you in the rain and uh, how, what was your learning experience with racing in the rain? Cause that's pretty tough. You know, I think, uh, I haven't had too much experience on the rain prior to my pro experiences. Um, but I think Suzuka definitely obviously helped that one. Um, I would say I'm a good rain rider. I wouldn't say I'm the best by any means, but I also say if you put me up against a lot of people, I'd, I feel like I'd be able to battle that out but I never look forward to it, but I also don't ever dread it. It's just kind of like, if it rains, it rains. We'll, we're all riding it. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, when I had first started racing, going from track days to racing, I had no racing experience. This is still novice, but uh, racing experience in the rain. 
And uh, man, it wasn't a good day for me. I crashed a couple of times because I was going from, I'm the, I'm the fastest guy, you know, winning the novice. And now I'm going in the rain and I know nothing in the rain and uh, it didn't go so well. I, I, uh, I was humbled that day. Right. <laughs> we all need those experiences. And, you know, but at the end of the day, I was still able to ride my bike, even with a couple of crashes, because in the rain, things don't always uh, flip as much. They slide for a long time. Theoretically. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Not all the time, that's for sure. Um, but are there any uh, sponsor shout outs you want to give anybody? Anybody you want to say hey to or thanks? You know, I'll, I'll thank some people who've helped me in the past. I don't have any sponsors right now, but uh, I think like Showy Helmets, they've helped me out a lot. Um, Franklin Armory, they they were the reason I was able to go racing last year. And they, uh, you know, the whole reason I went racing. And then uh, Derek Keyes, obviously, for being there. And Dylan Shaver, Rick Gray, like a lot of guys who, you know, put a lot of effort into my program. And then uh, just my family for uh, dealing with all my crap for all that. I mean, my mom and dad have really stuck it out. So I really appreciate that. And then uh, Joe Brown at Cool Breeze, he's helped me out a lot. And, you know, just uh, like I said, just super thankful to have these these close-knit group of friends. Yeah, pull yeah. together and make it uh, actually do something. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. For sure. So thanks for coming on, man. And where can people find you on social media? Are you out there on the internet anywhere? I'm on the interwebs. I am. So Facebook would be best for uh, Andrew Lee Racing. And then for just, you know, everyday life stuff for me. I mean, I say everyday life, but I don't post too much on there. But uh, my Instagram is Andrew underscore Lee 14. And uh, I'm on that probably more frequently. Okay. Are you on uh, YouTube? Are you a vlogger or a video creator? I'm not yet. I'm thinking about it. I'm actually in the market of buying a new camera. So we'll see. We'll see how uh, how my mojo feels on that. Maybe see some content on YouTube. Who knows? Yeah, well, I just trying to introduce everybody and create and uh, show the characters that are already out there. So just trying to capture what's there. Yeah, I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on here. And I look forward to talking again soon. Very good. Well, I'll get this uh, record edited and published in the next week or two. Make sure you uh, tag everybody we talked about, share it so we can get as many eyeballs as possible. And I'll talk to you soon, man. Absolutely. You have a good night. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Hey, I was just telling myself I wanted to do a, an ad for my business of all the products that I sell. Because um, there's so many that we've been adding over the last few weeks and months and years that it's just uh, hard to recap them all. So... Uh, real quickly, I'm not going to remember everything off the top of my head, but some of the things that are online right now that you can buy are Acropovic exhausts, we have Spark exhausts, we have M4 performance exhausts, we have Motul suspension setup tools, version 4, the latest one that's out. Unfortunately, there's a delay in shipment again from, from overseas, <clears throat> but those should be back in uh, next month or two. We also have Jim O'Neill, so O'Neill motocross gear. We have Azonic, we have Blur Optics, which are motocross goggles that have a really cool feature that they, um, they have a magnetic connection for the goggles, so you can swap your lens really quickly with, uh, it's just magnetic, so there's no tools involved at all. We have OGO, which is as everybody knows, the luggage and backpacks and everything, um, which are awesome and have gear bags for when you're traveling, which as you're racing, you're always traveling. Um, what are some other? Azonic, maybe I mentioned this, but Azonic mountain bike parts. Not everything is listed for this brand, but um, it's, it's, um, it's online very soon. Let's see, some of the other brands we have Moto D, so Moto D Racing. And they have tire warmers and uh, rear stands, Bonamici, Bonamici Italian sport bike parts and rear sets, handlebars, clip-ons. And uh, we also have Driven Racing. Driven has uh, all kinds of hard parts. So fuel caps, sprockets, um, 
things of that nature. Also for Moto D, we have IRC quick shifters, so up and down blippers, which are very handy to save you time on every lap. Uh, we also have STS, so sport bike transport stands for your trailer. Those are pretty handy. Um, some of the other brands would be Easy Grip Tank Grips. So for every, every modern sport bike, we have tank grips available. Um, let's see, we, don't, we do have used takeoff tires uh, available in Michelin. I think we have some Pirelli and Dunlops left. And if, I think we have seven more that I haven't even inventoried yet. Um, let's see. So there's a lot of stuff that we sell. We sell over a couple thousand items. We have access to well over 10,000 products, but not all of them are listed for sale yet. Uh, some of those are, that aren't listed are the car parts that we have. So we have Carvin. We have Cosmos racing wheels. And Carvin uh, would be exhausts for cars. Cosmos racing wheels, uh, wheels for for cars and trucks. Um, we also have BC Racing, which are suspension parts. Angry Acorns is Subaru wide body kits. And uh, these are all going to be for sale on my website, ericswanracing.com and shopesr.com. And uh, I could keep rambling on for, for a while of all the things that we sell. Um, but we're just trying to get it all listed. It takes a long time to, to get all this stuff listed properly for sale with the right uh, descriptions and everything. So please be patient, but we're working on it and trying to get podcasts out as, as, as much as possible. So trying to provide some original content for you. So let me know what you think and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks for listening and watching. Peace. Hey, just a quick message. Please head over to my YouTube channel and follow on YouTube under ericswanracing.com podcast. And it's also under youtube.com slash emusic2010. It was an old username. I haven't been able to change on there yet. So you can always search for Eric Swan Racing on YouTube and go ahead and subscribe and follow and click that bell icon so you're notified when we post new videos. Thank you.